Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's pick up where we left off yesterday. We're in this teaching from Paul about how Christians are just different. We're fundamentally different from the world around us. You cannot within one temple have both light and darkness, both uh, the Ark of the Covenant and a statue dedicated to Dagon, for example. This is what the Philistines did. They looked at the Israelite army and how they were supernaturally protected by God. They were like, hey, they have that ark with them that they carry everywhere they go. Let's just steal that and then we'll be as powerful as they are. And they take the ark of the covenant and they put it in the temple of Dagon. The next morning, the temple of Dagon has fallen, uh, the statue of Dagon has fallen over. And so they prop Dagon back up. I think that's hilarious. Sometimes we do the same thing though, let's be brutally honest. We're like, oh, I've got this extramarital affair. Let me put that back together again as a Christian professing Christ. And then the next day they come back and the statue statue of Dagon has fallen over and his hands have come off and his head has popped off. He's just completely destroyed. And that's when the Philistines come to realize, okay, we can't just appropriate this thing like it's a weapon. Rather, this is, this is the manifestation of their God and their covenant. And so it's an illustration of what happens when we as Christians try to appropriate uh, we, try to, we try to worship two gods at once. Or even when the world would try to appropriate Christianity. We're never going to be fully accepted by the world, Christian. We're just not. We're just not. There's always going to be this element of us that is fundamentally separated because we're fundamentally quite different from those who disavow Christ. Here's, the, here's a, a running start. Uh, yesterday we looked at this, at, at this verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 15 and then continue into the end of this chapter. It's just a few verses. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Like what, what agreement does Jesus have? have with the devil. By the way, side note to my Mormon friends, Jesus and the devil are not brothers. They are not, they are not equals. They are fundamentally different. The devil tried to tempt Jesus, if you would recall, it was prophesied from Eden that Jesus would crush and destroy the work of the devil. See Genesis 3, 16 and see 1 John. This is what Christ came to do. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Think Dagon. For we are the temple of the living God. Remember in the new covenant, we are the temple. Now the Holy Spirit of God dwells right here. What Paul's going to do next is introduce this fusion of teachings from Isaiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah 31, that keeps getting quoted a lot in 2 Corinthians. And then 2 Samuel. These are promises of God for his ancient people of Israel, and they're applied in the New Testament context. Just to show, it's the same God we've always served all along. God's people have always been distinctive from the people around them. Some of the Old Testament laws requiring how the people of Israel would dress and fashion their hair, it made them distinctive. And now in the New Covenant, we no longer are bound to these Old Covenant laws, but we are still distinctive. We are still the called out ones. Here's verse 16. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living, of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them and I will be their God. Right, here you can see more about this in Hebrews chapter three. And they will be my people. Okay, he's quoting Leviticus 26 and Jeremiah 31. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. Right, you can see more about this stuff in Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 52. 
In verse 18, he's going to quote 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Isaiah 43. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When uh, the drummer for Big Daddy Weave, back then they were called Big Daddy Weave, and the institution was getting married, I was filling in for them. Much of what they were setting out to do was just sort of make music in the style of Dave Matthews' band, where you've got like a really aggressive drummer, you've got a saxophone, and you've got acoustic guitar. I mean, like Dave Matthews could be one of the greatest guitarists ever, uh, especially on acoustic. In 1992 or 1993, he showed up on the stage dancing in pajama pants on Saturday Night Live playing What Would You Say? And, and for a while there, Dave Matthews' band really spiked in popularity and they topped the charts. And they kind of created for themselves this niche uh, in the music industry of uh, people who really like that style. I still actually believe that Carter Beaufort could be like the best drummer ever. Well, Big Daddy Weave was taking that style of music, but then instead of singing whatever weird stuff Dave Matthews Band was rambling incoherently about, <laughs> was instead singing prayers to God. And I'll never forget what, what uh, Mike Weaver uh, and Jay Weaver too, man, uh, pray for their family as they grieve, what they said about coming to the realization that they'd kind of made it in the Christian music industry. To the point of this text, we as Christians, we have our own music industry. We have our own movies. They're all kind of like B movies and our, our Christian music most of the time doesn't sound as good, frankly, as like music in the secular world. Um, there was a time when we set the bar like for music and for art, but that was the Renaissance, oddly the same time that secular humanism was on the rise. But now we kind of imitate Dave Matthews band. We sort of imitate what's cool musically. And when uh, Mike and Jay Weaver realized that they had sort of made it in the Christian music world, they were shocked at what they found because they thought that they would be playing for a bunch of Christians who also liked Dave Matthews band. Um, and, you know, instead of a bunch of, instead of a bunch of dudes who like played hacky sack and take ultimate Frisbee very seriously, <laughs> it was nerdy teenagers. <laughs> And, and it was kind of a blow to the gut. You're like, man, all of our fans are nerds. And, and it was, at first it felt like, oh man, we're not nearly as cool as we thought we were. But then it also, they came to the realization, that's what the people of God are. The people of God are just different. Right, we're gonna come across as nerdy a lot of the times. It's gonna happen. It's not a virtue, Christian, okay? Don't try to be nerdy. Don't try to make your kid as socially dysfunctional as possible and try to conflate that as though it were a mark of holiness. It's not. You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus sent us out like sheep among wolves. And so we're to be as innocent as doves, yet as shrewd as serpents. So if you're unaware, socially unaware, emotionally unaware, uh, that's not a mark of holiness. It's actually a lack of shrewdness. It's not something to be praised. It's actually a shortcoming to be rectified. But it's inevitable that while we're in the world and not of the world that we would stand out. You're not always going to be that cool. All right, make your music as amazing as you can. Make your art the best in the world because you have the best reason in the world to make music and to make art but know that we're never gonna fully blend in. What can light have in common with darkness? It's inevitable that there would be this threshold of separation among those who are saved and those who are still in the sin nature. So don't be shocked at this. Don't be surprised by this. If you're my, if you're my, my skeptical friend, you're kind of on the verge, kind of on the sidelines. You're like, oh, I wanna give my life to Christ because I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I'm afraid of what it's gonna be like. Yeah, do know this. You're, you're gonna be different. You're never gonna fully blend in with the world around you. This was, this was difficult for the Corinthian Christians to 
accept, and it's also difficult sometimes for modern day Christians to, to fully experience. If you're unwilling to deal with that tension, that differentiation between yourself and the people around you, then uh, you're gonna come to a point where you gotta choose one or the other, either Jesus is Lord or you wanna be accepted by the world. Celebrity after celebrity who has borne the name of Christ publicly has let us down in this regard because when they come to that same crossroads, they'll choose the world over God. But man, just know that when you do choose God over the world, you do profess Christ and not uh, and not death to and, and not death in our in our in our sins forevermore. You're not going to be fully accepted. It's an inevitability, but it's a good thing because it is better by far to be rejected by the world and accepted by Christ forevermore.